you're worshiping with us uh, here in uh, the sanctuary. It's good to see everybody's faces today. Uh, and those of you who are watching downstairs in the fellowship hall, hey, it's good to see you down there. And we are so glad that you guys are down there as well. And if you are watching at home, hello, good to see you. Uh, we're glad that you're uh, worshiping with us uh, this Sunday morning. Today we're continuing our series in Romans chapter 5, and over the last few weeks, we've kind of been dealing with a lot of very important ideas that, that we understand as Christians, that, that we understand faith or justification comes by faith, that we are justified in the eyes of God because of our faith in Christ. We've looked at how the depths of humanity's sin. We've looked at all these things, and today we're going to look at another aspect of our faith uh, that we don't talk about. You don't hear this word often, but we're going to talk about imputation, and we're going to look at the curse and the gift of imputation that Paul describes in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. So whatever you're reading God's Word in, whether it's an iPad or phone, you can turn there or in your copy of God's Word. Let's read uh, together in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sinned. In fact, sin was in the world before the law, but sin is not charged to a person's account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression, he is a type of the coming one. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if by the one man's trespass the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift which comes through the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many. And the gift is not like the one man's sin, because from one man's sin came the judgment, resulting in condemnation. But from many trespasses came the gift, resulting in justification. Since by one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So then, as through one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone, so also through one righteous act, there is justification leading to life for everyone. For just as though through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. The law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, as we come to your word, as each week we come expectantly, because we know, God, from eternity past, you knew that we needed your word and that you gave us word that brings life, that you give us the word that is perfect and that through the word we may be saved. 
And God, this morning, I also pray this morning that no matter where we are on our faith journey with you, that the word of life would come and we would hear and we would be changed. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe today you are experiencing maybe a couple of years or maybe a couple of months of struggle, trials. Maybe you've had some life change happen. Maybe you've experienced some real trouble. And maybe if you're honest, you would say, Pastor, I am struggling with joy because I feel like that this that I'm struggling with is God's punishment for me from something that I did years ago. Maybe you are carrying a burden or a guilt that, that you're struggling with in your mind and, and, and what you're suffering with now, for some reason you're attributing to that long ago. Or maybe you're a parent of teenagers and you've done everything that you can to, to encourage, to instruct, be in the Bible, pray, but in this season of life, it just seems to be hard. And one of your children maybe has become something bit of a broken relationship, that they've struggled to, to listen, they've, they've wandered away, and you've even been discouraged by a recent event that they've gotten in trouble or something that's happened that has you and your spouse grieved because you think you've done something wrong and you don't know what to do. Or maybe you're a married couple that is struggling, frustrated, because in your problems and concerns, each one of you seem to think it's the other person's problem. And that there seems to be no way for you to come together agreeably or to work together. Well, it's not surprising that me as a pastor would say that the answers are in the scriptures for you. But maybe more surprising would be the fact that your answer for this issue is found in a theological term that we don't often use very often. And it's the imputation of the righteousness of Christ. Now, when we see this word, imputation, it is a judicial word. It is a word that is saying that something is being attributed or cast or ascribed or charged to someone else on behalf of another. And the Bible teaches this doctrine that we receive or ascribed or charged this wonderful gift of the righteousness of Christ from his account to ours. Now, some of you might be saying, well, pastor, why are we talking about maybe so deeply? Well, I believe the Bible is perfect from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation. And one of the things that is found in the Bible is that one of the benefits or one of the, the results of Bible 
preaching is that you and me would become mature, that we would no longer be children, as Ephesians 4.14 says, that we'd be tossed about by every wind of belief, that the techniques of deceit of human cunningness that happens in this day. Or that we also believe in Colossians 1.28 that says that we proclaim him warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we would present everyone mature in Christ. And so sometimes, from time to time, we need to talk about very hard, difficult, theological, biblical beliefs. And today, I hope that what you would see is understanding this would actually give you freedom in what you're struggling with right now. You see, in particular, I hope that you would understand that the imputation of God's righteousness in Christ, and imputation has been used for the last hundred years or more, several hundred years, to describe that God imputes the righteousness of Christ through faith, Christ's obedience comes to us. That when we believe in him, we are accredited what Jesus has done perfectly where we have failed wrongly. In the Bible doctrine book John MacArthur and Richard Mayhew edited, it says this, the doctrine of imputation is either the justification of believers on the basis of Christ's righteousness or the condemnation of unbelievers on the basis of Adam's sin. You see, the Bible teaches both. That sin is imputed to us in Adam, which we continue in, but the Bible also teaches this wonderful good news that Christ doubly imputes us, that we, our sin is counted to him and his righteousness is counted to us. And it's when we understand this that we can face this world, our struggles, our pains, our sorrows, and even fix our relationships. You see, this passage that we read, Paul helps us to see that explaining both Adam and Christ play a role in understanding our great salvation. That it is in Adam we receive a horrible curse, but it is in Christ we receive a wonderful gift. And if we understand this, it reshapes how we see ourselves, our relationships, and the world. So in this passage, I want us to see three things that we receive through imputation and how it affects us. And then afterwards, so you're following along, at the end, I'm going to give you all of these wonderful practical benefits that comes from understanding this. So number one, if you're taking notes, number one, through Adam, we receive death. Through Adam, we receive death. Well, in verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sin. Now, as we understand this truth at the beginning, it is key to understand this universal problem of sin and death because of our connection to Adam. No one who is born after Adam's sin escapes this problem. And even worse, we're born into this world that is full of sin. We inherit Adam's guilt. And what's even worse is Adam's guilt leads to death. 
And the proof of all this is that we inherit the fact that we're all dying. You see several times in verses 12 through 14 how, yes, in this way, death spread. Nevertheless, death reigned in Adam to Moses. The reality is, it's because of sin, which Paul has talked a lot about in Romans uh, already, that we have been imputed or we have been credited our first father, Adam's sin. Charles Spurgeon observed of this. He said, we, as Adam's offspring, are heavy losers by the offense of our first father, the head of our human race. We have lost the Garden of Eden and all of its delights, privileges, and immunities. It's communion with God and its freedom from death. We have lost our first honor and health, and we have become the subjects of pain and of weakness and suffering and death. This is the effect of the fall. We see right now the effects of the fall. When I woke up and got out of the bed this morning, I felt the effects of the fall. I've never in my life until I got older, realized that you could get injured while going to sleep. But I have now reached that many years old in my life. But we know that because of sin, because of Adam, we know that we and what God has designed has been destroyed by sin. And we feel it and we know it, and the result is death. And contrary to the popular belief the false belief, the false cult or belief of this day that the only thing universal is sin, not salvation. It is this, we understand the Bible helps us to understand that it is our sin that everyone has, that we will not somehow be good enough to make it to heaven on our own. Now this is hard for us as we read this as a individual society that we are in the West, or especially in the United States. Uh, we believe that it's our own actions, our own decisions, our own abilities, that we're siloed in and of ourselves. And so anything, it must be us that, that takes the blame or the credit or whatever into our society. But however, the Bible teaches, and many other cultures understand, that the sin or the result of one affect the many. And Paul wants us to understand what we, under, we call representative headship, that Adam is our head. He is our representative of our race. He is the representative that the Bible says that, that because he sinned, everyone else following him has sinned. Now, we kind of curl at that, and we don't like that, but we understand that we have representatives all the time, right? We elect representatives to go into government to, to do things on our behalf. We have elected officials who will declare war on certain countries. Now, have you individually <laughs> proclaimed war on a country? No, you're just walking around, scrolling Facebook, you know, doing work, watching your kids. No, your representatives have called for war on a country, and yet you are being brought into it, right? In the same way, in a legal situation, if you ever, hopefully don't have to, but if you go into a legal situation that you have 
a, a legal counsel, that the legal counsel has truly powers of attorney, that you can, your, your legal representative can go and represent you on your behalf. You don't even have to show up. That person is going on your behalf, and what happens to them or what the case adjudicates happens to you. And what we understand, what Paul is making sure we hear, is that because of Adam, because of our representative in Adam, we are all under the weight and penalty of sin. His sin has been imputed to us. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, does that mean that, you know, really, if we could kind of figure things out, then then we could be good, or we, it's not based on what we do, it's, on, it's just what Adam has done? No, 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 no. It is clear we have all continued in Adam's likeness. We are all sinners, as Paul has said. As a matter of fact, in this text alone, you see the word sin many different times. In the original language, the Greek word verb for sin is Hamartia. It is found 173 times in the New Testament. And Paul, not surprisingly, uses it more than any other writer. 68 times. And of those 68 times, excuse me, 64 times, 48 of those are just in Romans alone. Now, what does this mean? <laughs> it means we're all sinners. We've all missed the mark. We've all uh, chosen to go outside of God's path. And unfortunately, because of this, because of our first representative, we are under the curse of death. But here's the good news, that Adam's not the only representative that we have in our case. And it's not the only one that God has ever given us. Because number two, through Jesus, we receive the gift of life. Picking up in verse 15, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if one man's trespass, the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift which comes through the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many? And the gift is not like the one man's sin, because from one man's sin came judgment, resulting in condemnation. But from many trespasses came the gift, resulting in justification. Since by one man's trespass death reigned, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Well, Paul helps us to see that there is one representative, but unlike our first representative, Jesus is much better because he gives us a gift, one that is outside of our capabilities, one that's something that we cannot earn, that we have inherited one from Adam, a curse, but from Jesus, we have received the best gift of all. Here in this passage, or just from 15 to 21, the word gift is used five times. And when we stumble across the word gift in verse 15, uh, there's actually two different words that Paul uses there for gift. And the first one he uses is, comes from the word charisma. It's where we get the word, maybe you've heard, charismatic. The word charisma means something attributed or a spiritual endowment. 
It means that something, a spiritual nature, that God-given gift. So the very first word Paul helps us to understand is this gift is not something you earn, but is a gift only given through God. And so Paul wants us to see that this gift is totally undeserved. Though that through Adam we participated in the judgment, through Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, it is only through a gift that he gives that we receive life. It is only by this monumentous, cosmic, unbelievable act of love that Jesus Christ imputes to us a gift that we possibly couldn't merit, deserve, or buy. Again, Charles Spurgeon says, Since we are helpless sinners, salvation must be a free gift. God bestows on it people without regard to any merit, supposed or real. Grace has to do with the guilty. Grace by its nature is not proper gift for the righteous and deserving, but for the undeserving and the sinful. God imparts his gracious salvation to people whom he regards as lost and condemned, as as those who have no claim on him whatsoever, to whom nothing but his free favor can be deliverance. He saves them not because he perceives that they have done anything good, or have hopeful traits of character, or form resolutions to aspire to something better, but simply because he is merciful and delights to exercise his grace and manifest his free favor and infinite love. You see, it is when we understand that we had the curse of one representative and that we acknowledge that, that we can rejoice and be excited and joyful that we have received a second one, a one who has given the gift to us. Because we know that Paul has made the case for in chapter 3, verse 20, by the works of the law, no human being is justified by it in his sight. Instead, it is by the work of Jesus Christ. Rather, what we need is a representative, no, a superior representative. To where Adam disobeyed and failed, Christ perfected. And in that perfection, we have received this wonderful gift that Christ earned, yet has been gifted to our account. So number three, we are made right with God through receiving Jesus' obedience. We are made right with God by receiving Jesus' obedience. In verse 18, so then as through one trespass there is condemnation for everyone, so also through one righteous act there is justification leading to life for everyone. Here is what earns us a right standing in God. Is it our obedience? Is it our good works? Is it our favor? No, it is the climax of perfection of Christ in the cross that justifies us before God. God's law required total obedience, obedience in action, heart, motives and desires and longing. And whatever his act or whatever his requirement was, we utterly failed from the beginning. And thankfully, it is God who then provided someone 
who would uphold the law he has given to us. He, Jesus, totally obeyed God's law for us, and he suffered the punishment for every infraction that we have done. So when we say that Christ's obedience gives us a right standing before God, we're not only saying that he obeyed to become our salvation, but we're also saying that he obeyed to become our perfection. Isn't that freeing? Isn't that good? And this is what we need to know as we think through what we have received and has been imputed to us from Christ. It is not just that we needed that forgiveness from what we have done, but even left to our own with forgiveness, we still weren't perfect. And all through our lives, we chase this perfection, and we chase it, and it, it ramshacks our lives, it, it tumbles our relationships, it burdens our lives. But in this good news that came through Jesus Christ, we have received the perfection of Jesus as a gift. And so, what Paul's argument then becomes, it is by faith that we are able to obtain this perfection. So let me give you maybe an imperfect analogy. Suppose I say to Franklin, my 10-year-old son, Franklin, if you want to uh, go to football practice tonight or you want to play, probably more rightfully, that you want to play uh, Fortnite tonight, that's probably the best thing. If you really want to play that, as you come home, before you come home from school, before you leave for school, your room needs to be clean. You need to be, have a clean room. Just clean up your room. And things get busy the night before and, and busy in the morning, and he goes off to school, and his room's not clean. Well, while he's gone, I have a few extra minutes. I go into his room. I clean his room. Everything's put up nice. He comes home. And I tell him, Franklin, you're, you were supposed to be able to play Fortnite tonight. You were to clean your room. Well, you didn't do it, and I did it for you. And of course, he's, of course, being a good boy as he is, is apologetic. He admits his sin. He takes the consequence. And yet, I say, Franklin... If you remember our agreement, it was to have a clean room. Well, there is a clean room. I've done the work for you. And because you have asked for forgiveness and because you're repentant, I'm going to let you play Fortnite. I'm going to let you do what you were to. Now, you might say, or as someone might say, well, uh, it's the clean room, right? It's the clean room. No. Or, or it is Franklin's repentance, or it is, it is what he has done to earn that, right? No. The agreement was the clean room. And it was gifted to him by grace that nothing he did, not even lifted a finger to do. And Paul says in both ways, faith is credited as righteousness, and God credits righteousness to us from faith. So when God says this morning to you, to those who believe in Christ, I credit your faith as righteousness. He does not mean that your faith is righteous. 
He means that your faith has connected you to the righteousness of Christ. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, It is not faith that saves us. What saves us is the Lord Jesus Christ and his perfect work. It is his death of Christ upon Calvary's cross that saves us. It is his perfect life that saves us. It is his appearing on our behalf in the presence of God that saves us. It is God putting Christ's righteousness to our account that saves us. This is the righteousness that saves. Faith is but the channel and the instrument by which his righteousness becomes mine. Faith is nothing more but that which links us to Christ and his righteousness. What a gift. What an overwhelming gift. That all we have to do is to muster the faith of a mustard seed. And Christ, Christ's righteousness comes to me on my behalf. So here's what I've promised is why does this matter today? You see, Christ's righteousness helps us to understand, to guard our hearts from being self-righteous. And it helps us as we deal with others. And it helps us as we see the world. You see, when we understand Christ's righteousness, rightly, that we, it has been given to us as a gift, it keeps us from being a seesaw Christian. You've been on a seesaw at one point in your life, or at least seen it, Right? That one side goes up and the other side goes down. And sometimes in our lives we feel that whatever mistake we make or whatever trial we go through or whatever problem we are struggling with, what happens? We feel down. We feel as though that we have hit the bottom. We feel as though that we have gone too far from God. And so maybe you are feeling that way. Maybe you've made mistakes over many years or maybe long ago. Maybe you faced trials. Maybe during this time of COVID-19, you've lost your job. and Maybe you've seen the dissolving of a relationship. And every single time, the enemy likes to bring up these past things and set them before you and see and show you that you as you think what he says, that you're a failure. But good news. <laughs> when you rightfully understand the imputation of Christ, you understand that you are already accepted. That even in your worst and even in your most vicious, horrible failures, Christ has Righteousness is now on you. That you are accepted and loved. And instead of feeling down, you can, you can see yourself rightfully how God sees you. That you are perfect. That you are fully loved. That he is proud of you. And that he cares for you. It's because of Jesus and his righteousness that we can't be too low because we understand that none of even our good is counted as good in God's eyes. That even our good needs Jesus' righteousness. And therefore, it helps us 
from feeling like our ups and downs in our spiritual life, that we, when we fail, we're far away, or when we're good, we're close. But no, we're always in the arms of God. There's also a great understanding of the righteousness of Christ that helps us to each other. Why? Because we are clothed in the same righteousness and perfection of Jesus. Now, I was in middle school. I call the middle school years the dark ages because middle school is hard. I mean, we used that time that, you know, Jordans was a status symbol and, and how we dressed was the way that we, we got accepted into certain groups. And, 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 and what's, some, half, many, middle schoolers are mean. Let's just be honest. It's a tough age. We're all trying to figure it out. We're all struggling. I was there. I was just as mean as anyone else. But when we understand the righteousness of Christ, <laughs> we hear this and see this, that we're all clothed the same way, that we're all clothed in the perfection of Jesus' righteousness. And it helps me to see that there is no one that I'm superior than and it's no one that I can look down upon because we're in the same righteousness of Christ. It helps me because I can give grace to those who are struggling. It helps me when, when I see someone who is, who is not following God. I can have grace because I understand that but by grace I would be in the same place. It helps me to see that by grace that I know that when a fellow brother or sister in Christ doesn't see things the same way I am, then, then I don't have some superiority complex that I have come to a fuller knowledge of God. Instead, I know that that's the righteousness of Christ in that person, the same as me. Now, does that mean that we ignore sin in each other's life, that we can do and whatever we want and, and sin however we want? No. As a matter of fact, tune in next Sunday because we're going to talk about that. But what it helps us to understand is that we have all received the same gift. And if it wasn't for that gift, we would have no standing before God. And so what does that mean then when I look at a Middle Easterner, the first thing that comes to my mind shouldn't be, oh, there's a terrorist. Because there's no reason to believe if that's a brother or sister in Christ, we have the same righteousness. When I see another believer of another race, I don't look down upon them in the same, by any means. Because why? We're wearing the same clothes as Jesus. When I disagree with my spouse, I realize that we have the same clothes. And that it makes me want to be more patient and loving. Because the same perfection of Jesus resides in me as it does her. And so when we understand this wonderful righteous gift, it even changes how we treat each other's. But it also helps us have hope for the world. Why? Because in understanding that, that we have received this wonderful perfection of Christ, 
It gives me the understanding and the power and the drive and the courage and the confidence to proclaim Jesus everywhere. In Kazakhstan and, and in Africa and in North, northern Kentucky and across the street. Because by faith, I've received the righteousness of Christ. And I still can't believe it. And the good news is, is that when I share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they too can be changed and receive the same gift of forgiveness and grace. Romans 15, 5, 17 helps us as, as we read if by one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and gift of righteousness reign in the life of one man, Jesus Christ? Isn't this good news? So let me ask you this morning, can you begin to fathom and be thankful for the imputation of Christ's righteousness to yourself? And does this maybe unearth some areas in your life that you trust yourself more than Christ? Do you see yourself putting burdens of perfection? Do you see yourself putting burdens on others of perfection that you have not put, been put on you by God? You have the righteousness of Christ. And maybe this morning, the most important question is, have you received the gift of Christ? I encourage you, if you're here in the room, or you're downstairs in the fellowship hall, or you're watching somewhere at home, or on a travel, or watching on your phone, traveling, watching on your phone, the Bible tells us that if we, by faith, trust in the work of Christ, then we not only receive forgiveness, but we receive Christ's perfection. I hope that you would pray and trust in Christ today. I hope that we would all understand this wonderful gift of righteousness that we receive in Christ and that we will thank him for this beautiful gift. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the gift of imputation that we, despite our failures, have received what you, Christ, have earned. And we are thankful that this burden comes, that we can get it by faith, that we can receive this gift by faith. And so I pray that we would be unshackled from the lies of this world, that we would be unshackled from the false teachings of, of today's culture. That we would be reminded that the only thing universal is our lostness and sin. But that the good news for all of us is the grace and the perfection that we can receive in Christ. I pray that we would trust in him that pray that many would pray to trust in Christ today and that we who are saved would be relieved and grateful 
for the perfection found in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen.